Welcome into the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. It's Josh Peach and Carson Gordy. Carson, I think this is our first time not doing a podcast in person together since the uh, school year started. Yeah, I mean, we're together on campus. Why wouldn't we be together? But, you know, over the summer, that's what we did all the time. Yeah. Talk about the White Sox falling off a cliff. We used to talk about Illinois football hopefully going five and seven. We now about when US, USC and UCLA first joined the Big Ten, and then we got the luxury of doing everything in person. Make th- makes things a little easier, I'd say. Yeah, it does. Maybe uh, hopefully we get to keep up the same chemistry. Yeah, well, luckily we're both able to watch all three Illinois games this past weekend, three high-caliber games. We're going to get to football uh, a little later here, but we're going to start with basketball. And Carson, we the first game of the weekend was Friday night in Vegas. Illinois played number eight UCLA. And, you know, despite a shaky first half and a terrible start to the second half, they pulled it out. They won uh, 79 to 70 against a very well-coached and talented UCLA team. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but my expectations were Illinois probably wasn't going to, you know, win a game throughout the whole weekend to, you know, so to see what they did against the Bruins, I think was really encouraging for the future. Yeah, dude, it, it was pretty incredible seeing Sincere Harris's impact coming off the bench. I mean, this is what Brad Underwood wants. Like, he knows he doesn't always have the most consistent shooters, but you can create offense opportunities with phenomenal defensive play, great on-ball defense, and creating easy buckets in transition. I mean, they were harassing UCLA. And then, obviously, you know, Terrence Shannon really stepped up. He's been acting like an alpha. I mean, eight for nine from the three-point line. Like, that's not something we can ever expect again from Terrence Shannon. But I think on a usual basis, you can expect Terrence to get to the basket. And that's not something he did against Virginia. Maybe he got cocky making so many three-point shots against UCLA. But I, the team showed how high the ceiling is. Because against UCLA, who's the one player who didn't have a good game? On like, Illinois? Yeah, on Illinois. Like, RJ's like the only one that kind of like comes off the top of my head. Jaden Epps didn't shoot particularly well. He was one for six from the field. But yeah, RJ for main people, yeah. Yeah. And what's nice about Jaden Epps, it's just good to see a freshman that's willing to take shots. And he's aggressive. He's aggressive. Like, we're not seeing that with Jaden Epps. You know, we're not seeing that, you know, Sincere's not getting the minutes. Ty Rogers can't shoot. So, in the long run, like, it's nice to see Jaden Epps get more confident. You know? Yeah. And that's another guy who didn't have a great tournament in general was Ty Rogers. But I was really impressed, Carson, with the fight of Illinois because besides Coleman and RJ, the eight guys that got playing time were all new guys right so you see illinois down 37 to 28 at halftime and then ucla goes up 44 to 29 to start the half and i was like all right well this is it like it was fun for 20 minutes i would have liked to hang in there for 30 or 35 minutes then sincere harris comes in right gets a few steals uh gives them some momentum to score in transition illinois speeds up the pace they start full court pressing all of a sudden illinois is winning by four or five and they hold on the rest of the game like i was really really proud of the fight of a team that hasn't played a real game as a group together, right? You have transfers, you have freshmen all making an impact. And it was really everyone too. Coleman had seven assists. Matt Mayer had 11, a point, 11 points and five assists. The defense stepped up. Sky Clark ended in double figures. We've talked about Terrence Shannon. Uh, Dane Deja had 13 points off the bench and only man, 18 minutes. Like I was just really proud of the way we saw the team who hasn't been in a tough situation together yet really come together and not only win the game, but win kind of convincingly. Is Brad Underwood a genius? Because on the surface level, you say, oh my God, Kofi Coburn's gone. How the hell are they going to rebound? 
Well, first of all, Dane's good enough. I'm not going to say it's a wash, but it's good enough. And then you got guys like Terrence, you know, Matt Meyer, like he has built this team to have a surplus in height in every single position. Like yeah. look at the weights, look at the guards. Dane is an immovable object at times. Like this team is going to be fine with the rebounds and that's what they needed. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about something that Brad started the game with, and that's what we saw, you know, in the first three games. And that was the switch everything defense because the way UCLA was able to score early in the game, especially early in the second half was with guard Tyler Campbell and, or Tiger Campbell. And then the big man, I'm going to mis- mispronounce his name. I think it's Hamey Hackes, I think is the way he pronounces it. But uh, Hackes had 20 and Campbell had 22. And especially earlier in the early in the second half when they went on that run, it was those two playing pick and roll. And I think that the switch everything defense really hurt them. Because you'd have, you know, Coleman or Mayer come up on Tiger and Sky would be stuck down on Hackes and he could hit some tough shots. So they didn't necessarily turn off the switch everything. They just sped up the game by pressing full court. But I want to know what you think of this switch everything defense between, a you know, a big guy and a point guard on a pick and roll. Yeah, it just creates, you know, size opportunities that aren't favorable for Illinois. And the problem is you let UCLA get comfortable with a half-court offense. Like Illinois, like you can't do that. Like I thought it was a phenomenal job for them to realize, let's put pressure on them the entire time. Like yeah. the way that Sin- Sincere Harris was playing on-ball defense, the way the entire team was, you know, it made a team like UCLA that wants to go sober place feel very uncomfortable. And that's kind of like Illinois' you know, bread and butter. Against Virginia, it didn't work as much. And I feel like Virginia did a great job getting to the free throw line. Yeah, I think that Virginia took advantage of not being not only being a more mature and, you know, older team than Illinois, but a more physical team. Right. Like people can can complain about the free throws all they want. Illinois shot nine of them. Virginia shot 32 free throws. Obviously, some of those include the end. You know, you can complain about the fouls all you want, but really Virginia was just a more physical team. And I think Illinois defense against Virginia, honestly, man, was pretty good. Like, Virginia's got some really good players. Like, I credit Brad for the UCLA game making an in-game adjustment and going to the full-court press to pressure him because one of the problems we've had with Brad in the past, right, was that he wouldn't make in-game adjustments. So now he did. And against Virginia, I think it's really hard to nitpick things defensively. They, they couldn't do better. But like you said, they have the size advantage on most teams. And, you know, going 6'3", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", your starting lineup is going to give you an advantage over most teams, which worked in the second half against UCLA. So I, I think still the biggest problem is our offense. Because yeah. you look at Terrence Shannon, he won eight for nine. That's fantastic. But the rest of the team only shot 25% from three-point line. Yep. What if Terrence has a fine game? What if he only scores 15 points? Do they beat UCLA? See, I'm not too sure because you really put that game away. And I'd argue that that's exactly what happened against Virginia. Because if you remember, Illinois was up by at least a couple points against Virginia with, you know, with the under four timeout. Sky Clark fouls a three-point shooter and Virginia takes the lead. Who was there to score for Illinois? No one. Not a single person. Jade Nepp's four shots. Sky Clark, Coleman Hawkins, all four shots. And without Taryn Shannon being able to do his thing, you know, after the best game of his life, pretty much. They couldn't score. And the other thing that I'm concerned about with the offense, and this happened late game too, is the turnovers. That was really bad. Yeah. 
Well, we saw it against UCLA too. I mean, Sky Clark had a super rough first half. He was forcing passes to Terrence Shannon. Then he played well in the second half. But yeah, I mean, Brad said after the game about Terrence Shannon, he's like, don't forget what your bread and butter is. Yeah. Like the reason why we wanted you here is because you can be a physical force down low. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can get 19 free throw attempts against Kansas. Granted, against UCLA, you know, he scored 24 points from shooting three point shots. Only five of those points were not from three pointers. Yeah. So maybe that got in Terrence's head that he's trying to become a shooter for the NBA. But if this team wants to have a sustainable path to victory, like Terrence Shannon's going to have to try to pound it inside. Yeah. And that's, I think Brad's going to get that across to his team. You know, I, I really can't complain about the weekend, though. I mean, no. I expected 0-2. They played great against two top 15 programs. Yeah, this is what, you know, I was talking with my buddies, my father, about after the games. The defense is going to be fine. We're not going to, you know, face many teams where the pick and roll can kill us because of our size advantage. And even if we do with the switch everything, Brad did a good job of, you know, picking up the pace, full court pressing, maybe double teaming. So I'm not too worried about that. The offense did not click. Like we said, UCLA, it was all Terrence Shannon for a little bit against Virginia. Jaden Epps was doing well. Dane, you know, had an okay game. Terrence didn't have it. And Illinois still only lost by nine points to what is now a top five team in the country. So I really think, like I said, defense is going to be fine. Brad has set this up, this team up as a long, athletic, strong team that can play defense once the offense clicks. So once the turnovers, you know, lessen a little bit, some guys find their three-point groove. And people just learn to play together and develop some chemistry. I really think that Illinois is going to be a tough out in every single game this year. Like this, it really all depends on the offense. Yeah, I think Jay Neps and Terrence Shannon, those are the two X factors. Because I don't expect Sky Clark to contribute that much. I think Matt's always going to be streaky. That's what he was at Baylor. Coleman never created his own shot down low. Like it's going to be up to Jay Neps to become a consistent scorer. It's going to be up to Terrence Shannon to always get to the free throw line. If those things happen, yeah, sure, this Illinois team can do pretty well in March. I wanted to ask you about Coleman and RJ because those are the two returning players that Brad actually puts on the court, and he alludes to them as veterans, which I think is an interesting way to put it. You know, yesterday, or Sunday for that matter, against Virginia, RJ started off hot with eight points and he didn't score again. Coleman had 10 points and he was kind of efficient, but he wasn't taking the best shots, and like you said, he didn't create his own shot. So what are we supposed to expect from these two? Like if RJ and Coleman can't create their own shot at some point this year, like can Illinois actually reach its peak, whether that's, you know, final four elite eight sweet 16, or like, is that really going to hold Illinois back? I don't know. I think RJ is a glorified role player. Um, I think Terrence Shannon is just a better version of him. Yeah. I definitely think RJ expected a bigger role coming into the year, like especially after the Houston game next year, like last year, this is supposed to be his program. Well, now you got a lottery pick probably on the team. You know, you got a bunch of freshman guards that are trying to make their mark. For RJ, you know, he's got to start making shots so he can stay in there because this is a pretty deep rotation. Like, if you're not contributing, you're going to get kicked out. And with Coleman Hawkins, you know, he's never been an offensive force. Like, we get fooled every year at the beginning. In reality, he's a very lengthy, good defensive player. He can occasionally make a three-pointer, but he's never really been that strong down low. So... It's going to be the Dane show scoring 15 points in the paint. It's going to be Terrence trying to be a two-way threat. It's going to be Jaden Epps making some three-point shots. Those are the guys I'm expecting. I don't think Coleman cares about scoring. In reality, I feel like Coleman has the ball in his hands too much because he's sometimes a turnover machine. Like I understand that he's a good passer when he's in a stationary position, but he looks clumsy when he dribbles. 
It worries me. Yeah, I'll give it to Coleman. He, I would say he's a great passer. Against UCLA, he had seven assists. He gets the ball into Dane better than anyone. He finds Terrence. He's unselfish. And, like, his I, to me, Coleman's job is he's a, a, he's, a, he's a stretch four wing. Yeah. He's going to hit a cut occasional threes, like you said. He's a good passer, and he can play really good defense against a wing slash a big that isn't super physical. He can't be defending, you know, fives, like center, you know, that's going to kill you, like, Kofi or Hunter Dickinson but what he can do is shut down a guy like Ron Harper Jr. that we saw last year you know mm-hmm. give a guy like Jaime Jaquez uh you know forcing him into the toughest shots possible I, I even think that he'll compete with Trace Jackson Davis when Dane's not in so I like that from Coleman but with RJ he's you know he's not gonna lose a starting spot and he's been given the chance to take shots because I think RJ does have the ability to be a two-way player on offense you know getting to the rim and shooting the three but until he gets to the rim he's not going to score that much. And like you said, he expects to have a bigger role. So, but you know, we've talked about both games. Like I'm with you. I expected to go 0 and 2 and Brad said it in the post game. And I totally agree. There's not many times you feel good after a loss, right? This is an inexperienced team that lost to the most experienced team, arguably in the country in Virginia with a top five coach, arguably in the league and Tony Bennett. So I bet you if these, you know, two teams were to square up in March three or four months from now, We'd feel pretty good, and I think that's really encouraging from this weekend. Illinois passed the pass the test. They can rebound, they can get to the line, they can play great, you know, defense and not foul too much like against UCLA. Yep. Like, the sky's the limit for this Illinois team. Just get more consistent shooters, and then they're chilling. Before we get into football, real quick, Illinois has now got what six teams ranked in the top twenty-five. I think they have uh, Michigan State, Indiana, Illinois, Maryland, Iowa. And then they have one more, I think. I'm going to blank on who it is. Oh, and Purdue. They've got Purdue's six back in. Yeah, they've got six teams right now in the top 25. Of course, Michigan falls out, which I buckle at. Um, but, like, you know, just looking at the Big Ten, like, do you think that the Big Ten's going to be pretenders again? You know, Michigan State picked up a good win against Kentucky, another one against Villanova. Just what are you feeling about the scope of the Big Ten right now? And, you know, how do you think Illinois compares to those other teams? I think there's three teams gunning for the top spot. It's Indiana, Michigan State, and Illinois. Those three teams make the threshold. I think this is a super underrated conference. I think Tom Izzo is rejuvenated. I think Trace Jackson Davis is one of the best players, you know, in the country. I think Iowa is always going to be able to score against anyone. Like, people were doubting this Big Ten conference because they lost so many people. But people don't get that, like, teams like Illinois, they rebuilt with some of the best players in the big 12 and they recruit like crazy, you know, Michigan state, like guys like Joey Hauser, they're actually pretty good. And now they're starting to live up to their potential. So I don't want to predict March madness because it's so unpredictable. It might be a bad matchup. You might just be too physical for one game, but the big 10 is going to do pretty well getting a lot of teams in and probably getting some pretty good seeds. You know, Michigan had a terrible start to last year, and then they went to the Sweet exactly. Six again. You can't sleep on Michigan. No, you can't. Ted um, Howard's pretty good, Um, and I still like Dickinson. Like, once the time comes, like, Michigan's going to be a good program. Illinois plays Maryland pretty soon at Maryland in their second conference game, I believe, or their first one. And Maryland just went and won their Thanksgiving tournament with Donta Scott, who's given Illinois problems in the past leading them. And they beat a really well-coached Miami team by 20. Now, Miami doesn't have that much talent, but just another team to look out for that I think, you know, might surprise some people and yep. could beat Illinois, you know, in that game early in the season, whatever. We're pleased on with the road. Illinois. Huh? 
On the road, right? On the road at Maryland. I always say red teams on the road in the Big Ten for Illinois. It's very hard to beat a team with the color red on the road. Yeah. Rutgers, Nebraska, Indiana, Maryland, Ohio State. There's a ton of them. All right, well, in between the two basketball games, we had what could have been Illinois' biggest football win, arguably, in 15 years. That was at number three, Michigan. Michigan kicks a field goal with nine seconds left and beats Illinois 19-17. to And the story for me, Carson, was not the last offensive drive, but the last offensive drive when Illinois ran the ball two plays in a row and gave, you know, was too conservative with their play calling, gave Michigan good field position with the wind, and ultimately they win the game. Yeah, I don't know what Barry Lunny's thinking. You know, what made this offense move in the second half was the play-action pass. It was going up tempo. I'm sorry, we've seen time and a time again, like when the pressure's on this offensive line, when it's a short yard situation, when teams stack the box, Chase Brown can't gain any yards. Running the ball up the middle against Michigan twice, against one of the best rush defenses in the country, that's disastrous. So when it's third and seven, yeah, you don't have the wide receivers that can get open. Like Tommy DeVito, he's a good game manager, but he's not a playmaker. So on first down, like, yeah, sure, run the ball. But what about on second down? Why don't you do a, a jet sweep to Isaiah Williams? Why don't you do a screen pass to Isaiah Williams? Isaiah Williams had one catch for eight yards in the second half. I know. What is going on? The whole point of getting Barry Lunny was to put the ball in the best people's hands. That's what Tony Peterson didn't do. For the second half of the season, I, I feel like he hates Isaiah Williams because he's been so quiet. Yeah, to I'll get back to your first point. To counter your second point, Michigan has a as a phenomenal defensive backs coach, and they did game plan for Isaiah. So credit to them there. But I agree with you. And the other, you know, back to your first point though, on second down, what are you doing? Like I would have liked to see one of three things on second down: play action, QB option. RPO because yeah. both of the second the second two options the option for RPO or just a QB option are what Tommy thrives in that is where he's the most efficient so even if you don't get a first down on second down you trust Tommy who's very efficient in the passing game in general to at least complete a pass because then even if it's only for one or two yards right it's better it's arguably better than a run because the defense knows what's coming I had one of my buddies texted me after the game, no, I don't think that Barry Lunny made the wrong call because Chase is the best player. Well, sure, but Michigan has the arguably the best D-line in the conference, and they know exactly what's coming. Like, this isn't, you know, this is basketball. Like, they know exactly what's coming, so what are you supposed to do? So, very disappointed in Barry Lunny. I thought that he adjusted to Michigan's defense great, and the way that I've described Barry Lunny to people over the last couple of days is that He's the offensive coordinator equivalent of the phrase million dollar move, 10 cent finish. He gets you there. He gets you the yards. You can outgain the other team and you're set in possession to win. But as soon as you're supposed to finish, he sells the bag. And that's what happened against Michigan. Yeah, it gets vanilla. We saw it against Indiana. We saw it against Michigan State when he went one for six on fourth down conversions. Like there's been a serious issue with short yardage. And I think it's, it's, it's not good. It's really holding this program back. I mean, this Illinois team should be in a Big Ten championship. You know, when you're facing Michigan and all they need is a field goal, I'm sorry, like, you have to take chances. They have they have Moody as their kicker. Like, everybody knew when Illinois punted that ball away, they were probably going to lose. Yep. Granted, the refs did help out on that pick call. But you can blame the refs. Every game you can find something with the refs. The fact is you had three downs to get 10 yards. 
You couldn't do it. You have to control what you can control. You can't call the refs not calling the pick play. You know, you can't call, you can't control New York calling that incomplete pass that which was clearly incomplete, by the way, a completion. What you can control is moving the ball and putting the game away with the ball in your hands. And Barry Lenny didn't do that. Credit to Brett Bielema. He coached after a tragedy, his mother passing away, and he called a great game. He did a good job communicating with both of his coordinators. Ryan Walters did a phenomenal job adjusting on the Michigan offense. You know, Michigan was blessed with great field position in the fourth quarter and the wind. And you could argue the pick play, the incompletion, the PI call on Devon Witherspoon. I don't even know what that was, but it just, it all came down to Barry Lenny's play calling. And once again, which we've seen, you know, for at least two or three of the losses now this year, he sold the bag and, and it's frustrating because that would have put Illinois in prime position to uh, go out and win a big 10 West championship after, you know, people doubted them after losing to Michigan state and Purdue. I know. And that's kind of just shows how close this program is. Like if you yep. said before the season that Illinois would be up 17, 16 against Michigan with 15 seconds left. I don't think a soul would honestly believe that that was a possibility, no. but they play physical in the trenches Ryan Walters is a phenomenal defensive coordinator. Chase Brown's great. But doesn't it seem like a missed opportunity? You know, they scored 23 points a game this year. Guess how many they scored last year? 20 or 19. They scored 20. So even though that you have Chase Brown giving a Heisman-level performance, even though this is one of the best wide receiver cores you've had in years, despite the fact that Tommy DeVito is a massive upgrade over Art and Brandon Peters, you're going to finish five and four in conference play. They finished four and five last year in conference play. Yeah. So despite having all this increased talent, being so vanilla on offense has given them only one extra win. It's awful. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's definitely frustrating because, you know, people say, yeah, if you would have told me the year before, you're probably going to go eight and four, end up, you know, playing a SEC team like Mississippi State, Kentucky, or Arkansas in the Music City Bowl. You would have thought they were crazy, but expectations change fast. And when you blow an opportunity, like you said, to get into the Big Ten championship game and potentially go to a Rose Bowl, which is, you know isn't going to be a thing after this year because next year it's in the playoff and then you have the 12-team yep. playoff period, you feel frustrated. So, no, I'm, I'm exactly with you there. But, I mean, we can sort of talk about this coming week at Northwestern anyways. It's going to be at Northwestern, probably a small crowd, not the best weather. I hope Illinois takes care of business and wins by 20 or 30, kind of like they did last year. There are 11 and a half point favorites. If this team wants Low. to come out and be angry, I mean, they should win 24 nothing. Yeah. That's what it should be. Yeah. I don't know. College football is weird. You're dealing with 18 and 19 year olds. Yeah. You know, college football has been crazy the past few weeks. Yeah. I mean, just the scope of college football. South we Carolina. You know, real quick before we, uh, before we wrap it up here, the top four did not look great. Georgia only had a 10.1 over Kentucky. Ohio State squeaked one out at Maryland. Michigan barely handled Illinois. And TCU won in dramatic fashion against Baylor. You kind of thought for a minute there that someone else might be able to come into the playoff, and that would have been Tennessee. Then they give up 63 points to South Carolina, lose Hendon Hooker. They're completely out of the picture. Yep. USC picks up a key win against UCLA. Very happy about them. Those are your five teams right there, in my opinion. Clemson, sure, but I don't Clemson's trust gonna get in. If I had to predict the playoff, I think three teams are clear. I think Georgia, Ohio State, they're in. 
I don't see USC beating Notre Dame or Oregon. Like for is them it to at Notre Dame. No, it's at USC, but I think Notre Dame's one of the most scariest teams in the country right now. I wouldn't want Freeman's got a good thing going there. I, I feel like Kansas State's gonna beat TCU in the Big 12 championship. I think Clemson's gonna win out. So I think it's gonna be Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson. I don't know who gets that four spot. I Michigan. really don't. Would it be Michigan? I mean, if it's Michigan, close. It's a close I, I think you'd have to give it to Michigan at the end, but I don't know. This year in college football, I think it's Georgia and everyone else. I 100% agree. If I had to predict the playoff right now, I would go Georgia, Ohio State. I think TCU is going to win out. Give me TCU. They could. And then, and then uh, I think USC is going to win out too. Uh, that's just – I have a feeling about it. Obviously, there's a tens of hundreds of different you know possibilities that we could go over here, but that's what I think. Obviously, Clemson, Michigan are right there, but I'm with you. It's Georgia and everyone else. Like, who cares that Kentucky only wins or, – or Georgia only wins by 10 at Kentucky. Bob Stoops is a good coach. It's a good defensive team. Like, Georgia doesn't need to win by 20 for me to feel good about them. When they need to win big, they win big. We saw it against Tennessee. We saw it against Oregon. Georgia's the clear front runner. Yeah, no, they play the most competent football. Yeah. That's, that's for darn sure. Hey, you know, it'll hopefully be a fun playoff, but, yeah, it seems like there's one team. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for – Today's episode of the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. Carson, at least our teams competed. I mean, you, you yeah, feel good about basketball, and I'm, you know, besides a couple play calls away, you know, by Barry Lenny, Illinois might win that game. So at least our football team and our basketball team are headed in the right direction. Where were you in 2018 during the same time period? You know what was going on? Illinois lost to Iowa 63-0, and Illinois got swept in Maui. Yep. During Brad Underwood's worst season. They I remember that. It was his first year. We were seniors in high school. We were. Now we're seniors in college. And Illinois football almost beat Michigan. And the basketball team looks like a top 10 Big Ten contender. It was they Brad's like second year, actually. Yeah. No. Second year. Yeah. It just, regarding, I'm not worried about basketball. They've yeah. proven it. They've built credibility. They could have gone 0-2 this weekend. I wouldn't have batted an eye. Yep. But I do think the one thing with football is, it's very fluid. Like the reason why people like Malik Elzey look to go to Illinois is because they start seven and one. And I do feel like Brett Bielema still needs to make changes to the offense. Like they cannot think that this year was a perfect formula and that the refs just happened to screw them over. No, there are fundamental issues that they need to change with the passing game or else this football team won't leave, you know, being mediocre in the big time. Yeah, I agree. Maybe it's time to stop whining on Twitter and make fundamental changes, right? Yeah, I don't know. That's what right. I think. Well, that'll do it. Carson, thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been another episode of the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. Mm-hmm.